Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss. And we are continuing today in our summer series with Dr. Alan Hawkins on the covenant. So you might remember that we are doing a 10 week series. These are hour long sessions. So you're going to want to have your notebook handy with a pen and you're going to want to have your Bible ready. And if you haven't listened to the first uh, three, then you need to go back and listen to the first three so that you can come catch up and be uh aware of and understanding what we have what we have talked about so far so that you're ready to hear today's um, today's message. So uh, let's welcome Dr. Allen. Hi, Hi Alan. Are you ready Good for day. today? Here we go. All right. I'm so ready. how do you want to start? You want me to just pull up the slides? <laughs> <laughs> We're punching you can do whatever today. you want. Ever I want. Oh, I like that. Okay, we can do whatever I want. Well, I think we should, we, let's just pull up the slides. And then if you have anything to say about what we have covered so far, um, feel free. Otherwise, you can just go ahead and get started. And um, But it's been, a, it's been a rich study so far as we have listened to all about Jesus. And of course, it's all about Jesus. We end up every time we seem to begin with and end up with Jesus every time. And that's exactly how we should be. Yeah, because um, I don't know anything. Uh, well, I just tell people all the time, I know nothing of an abstract God. Uh, so <laughs> that's right. Will, will ask me abstract questions about God. And I'll say, well, I don't know anything about that God. The God that I know came into my world, took human flesh, and suffered and bled and died and conquered the grave. And so he showed up, and that's the God I know about. Um, so when people want to ask you abstract questions about God, they always want to know, well, if God is good and if he has all power, why did such and such happen? And I always say, I don't know or understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at his right hand stands one who is my savior. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, He's that's the beginning really and the beautiful. End. Yeah, yeah, this is Jesus. Yeah. You did say in a one of the sessions, I can't remember which, if it was week one or two, but you did talk about how um, that, you know, we suffer in this world and that this is our only chance, really, to uh, place our faith in Christ uh, in spite of the trouble that we see all around us and the trouble that we experience. And that's what really faith is all about. You know, Bill Johnson, our friend, uh, fortified the whole world. When, when his precious Benny died and he came out uh, the very week of her death and spoke to his church uh, like only a father 
who's in Christ can, a husband who's walking in faith, and said, I can only offer the sacrifice of praise um, in this world, in this life. And um, so I have to come with that in this moment. Kim, I'm about to, as, as you and I are talking, I'm about to embark on a trip to Canada. Oh. And the, the couple that I'm going to visit I don't have time to unpack their story, but um, the wife wrote a book and um, hallelujah. Um, she wrote a book about what her life has been as a, as a person who's, who's trusting Christ. But um, the, the, the book is called Death where is your victory? Hmm. And the woman's name is Zelda Durzma, D-U-U-R-S-E-M-A. Death, where is your victory? And Kim, this is a woman who, the in a, in just very tight story, if I may, um, mm -hmm. uh, married her college sweetheart and a man that she would still say was a soulmate and a great love of her life and they bore a son i'm sorry they bore a daughter and before that daughter was a year old a car crash killed the daughter and her mother mm. and left her in the hospital for two months she bore a second son, and by the time he was a year old, he died of an illness. She bore a third child, a daughter, who was born with a, with a muscular dystrophy. She bore a fourth child who was also born with muscular dystrophy. Her husband, um, who was one of the heroes of the Mozambican flood crisis they were south Af they're south africans and he was a relief worker a doctor in south africa during that during the floods a year after the floods after one of his long trips to india was killed in an automobile crash wow and that lady has written, uh, wrote a book called Death, Where Is Your Victory? Where she speaks of knowing Christ in the midst of all these things. Well, the Lord blessed her with a husband. And oh, by the way, the story is remarkable because the story uh, is filled with prophecies of dates, mates, and babies. <laughs> Uh, all the things, all the things we say don't ever all of them. About. <laughs> every, every page is dates, mates, and babies and prophecy. And a woman who still loved the word of the Lord and then received a prophecy three weeks from today, you will meet your husband. And she did. And, and they just, the prophecy even described him. And uh, Kim, they've been married now 19 years, and uh, 
Gail and I are going to Canada to celebrate um, to a, a, a long, prolonged celebration of his birthday. And um, yeah, we're so excited. But this is this is a person. This is not knowing an abstract God that you want to say um, God is good, has all power, and all these things happen to me. This is a person who in the midst of pain, sorrow, uh, travail, um, found life in Christ. And um, and I was studying for my sermon this last week, which which was the living sacrifice. And as I'm studying for my sermon, I was rereading her book to, to just prepare myself to go be with them this week. Um, by the way, as people are hearing this, it won't be this week. It will be this week as we're recording. Right. Um, and in the middle of that was her placing that passage in the, from the message mm. about presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And I said, God, I don't know anything about this passage. I don't know anything about it. But she was, as she was writing that passage, she was saying it was right in the time when God spoke to her in that word that he inspired her, that it was time for her to write a book about all that, that he has brought her through because her life is a living sacrifice to the one who is a living sacrifice. This is the gospel, and this is why we're doing this stuff. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. There is there is nothing, <laughs> there just is, there is nothing in this world to compare with Jesus. Yeah. No. Nothing in this world. Nothing in this world. Nothing can comfort like Jesus. In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, but we will have trouble. He has overcome the world. Amen. How beautiful. How beautiful. What was the name of the book again? Death, Where Is Your Victory? Death, Where Is Your Victory? Yes. Zelda in case Norsen. anybody. Yep. There's probably somebody listening who needs to buy that. You can book. go on Amazon. It's a it's a very very uh, inexpensive book on on uh, Kindle, and it's a and it's a it's a wonderful read. You'll read it. You, you you'll read it in a couple of sittings. And uh, beautiful. And you'll cry. You better have your Kleenex. You bet you'll cry or whatever. <laughs> oh. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. All right, Dr. Hawkins, Hawkins, understanding our covenant God. Well, let's talk about the Adam family. (laughs) (laughs) Let's. (laughs) The Adam family. Not to be confused with the Adams family. (laughs) Well, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Well, I told you covenant is making family. So what we're going to do from here till the end is we're going to look at covenant through family. And this is the Adam family. And Kim, we're all in the Adam family. 
This is the story of creation, fall, and promise of restoration. Let's take a look at it. um, We immediately come into the story of the tempter and the temptation. By the way, this is the third time I'm looking at this. Um, Kim, you know that passage that says, uh, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will, with the temptation, also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Yes. You know what the context of that passage is? This, this, this. <laughs> the context of that passage is the Eucharist. Oh. The way of escape is the body and blood of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. The way of escape is not is not some strategy of survival. Yeah. It's participation in the life of Christ. No other way of escape. So here we come to the tempter. And the tempter comes with a question, has God said? And the woman um, quotes what God said, and she kind of amplifies on it, or at least uh, she appears to. And the tempter says, you surely shall not die. So the tempter tells the lie. Kim, um, all lies come from the one lie. Oh, good. So mm-hmm. Satan is, uh, he's called the father of lies. Now here we have the tempter. He's called the serpent, but uh, we're pretty clear that in the book of Revelation that that, that, that tempter, that that serpent is identified as Satan and he's identified as the dragon um, as his stature grows through the evolution of the story of the unfolding of the story of the Bible. But he tells the lie. Kim, there was a, um, a, there was a psychologist a number of years ago named Scott Peck. I don't know. Do you remember that name? Yes, um, the, Scott it, was very well known for uh, for writing a book called "The People of the Lie." Mm-hmm. He decided to write a book uh, called "The Psychology of Evil." Mm. He said, "You know, because in psychology, Kim, there's not really a category for evil. Um, there's only there's only phenomenons of behavior and you're not allowed to make moral assessments. But this psychologist said he'd come face to face with too much evil to not, to not be able to uh, say that it is real and personified. And so he wrote a book about the evil that he had seen and he, it was called the people of the lie. And Kim, the lie, the great lie is that you can be God. Mm. you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All lies stem from the one lie, the lie that that man can be his own God. Mm. C.S. Lewis used to write about the God almightiness of man. (laughs) Yeah. So, so this business of 
of living inside the lie, the lie. And again, all lies find their fountain in the one lie. Well, um, there's a there's an amplification I can give on that, but I want to just go to First John chapter two, okay. and uh, one scripture. It says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes." And the boastful pride of life, I added that word, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Right there in that passage is, um, there's no question in my mind that John had in mind Genesis chapter 3. He was completely enraptured with the fact that, that, that this is the threefold temptation and that the threefold temptation of Eve is the threefold nature of the temptation that we all experience. So you can see that uh, in the next piece um, where it says, the lust of the flesh, she saw that the tree was good for food. The lust of the eyes, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. The pride of life, it was a tree desirable to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So this is the story of the fall. Kim, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. We have this idea that if something is beautiful, it's good. Uh, yeah. Um, I remember, hmm, hallelujah. Uh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm wroth to say what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> I might just hold my counsel as not to be as to not to be unkind, but um, I remember the first time that somebody that I loved with all my heart spoke to me about something that I knew was ungodly, and went to the thing and said, "You know, it was so beautiful." And I remembered hearing myself say, "And it was beautiful to the eyes." So beautiful does not mean does not mean good. And Kim, this threefold temptation of the woman is the exact threefold temptation of Christ in Luke chapter four. It's the exact yes. outline. I'm sure you've seen that. Yes. I had a seen that, but I didn't include it because I just know I have more than I can get to. But but again, yeah. it's to say that it's to say that Christ conquered um, in our behalf, where um, the woman and the man didn't conquer. And of course, the Bible tells us plainly that the woman was deceived, but the man stepped willingly into his sin. 
And um, there's all kinds of things said about this and to say about this. And most of them have been said and don't need me to repeat them. But um, we're dealing here with, with how God uh, will deal with the fact that he has a covenant with man. He has told the man to, to um, have dominion in his earth. Now, Kim, God, and this is the whole story of the Bible, God never leaves his, in, his first stated intention that in his creation, a man should have dominion. And so it's not surprising to us that Jesus is called the last Adam. He's not called Adam. the second Adam, by the way. He's called the last Adam. And, and it's not surprising to us that what was lost in Adam is restored in Christ. A man to have dominion, a man who is a priest king to have dominion in God's creation. So that's telling the end of the story from the beginning, but we're going to keep telling that story along the way as we go. Let's look at the consequences of sin as we go. It says they hid themselves. Um, I love this because it says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid and I hid myself. God comes mm -hmm. in the garden and he calls out. Now, um, because he was naked and God will say to him, who told you that? <laughs> who, right. Boy, this, this is where I, I probably should revise some of this because Kim, what he says is you've been listening to who, who have you been listening to? And and I want to suggest something to you, and I don't want to, I don't want our listeners to get a, a skew, but I raised this issue last uh, in the last session, so I need to continue it on here. Uh, I am looking at the creation story from the point of view not of a pre-flood fall in the heavens that came into the world, but from the perspective rather of a member of the divine council who rejected God's plan to bring forth another imager who would have dominion in his world and instead brings forth a rebellion. And I'm looking at the possibility, and I think of a really interesting um, one that doesn't cause a lot of problems theologically, that the fall in the heavens and the fall on earth were simultaneous rebellions. <laughs> Thus, so would you say, <laughs> so you would you say, Alan, so that, that uh, God cast out down Satan and the third of the angels because this happened in the garden or because I've heard it, I've heard it hinted at that they were cast down and that's how he ended up in the garden 
with with Adam and Eve. So I don't think so. so simultaneously. So you think that they that the so. rebellion well, was think, evidenced by him coming to the garden? Well, I what I read is that there was nothing alarming to the woman about the presence of this talking serpent. Oh. That's interesting. <laughs> what yeah, what I read is there was nothing particularly and that and that to have had communion not only with God, but to have had um, interactions with members of the divine council was was very likely normative. And I'm speculating, so this is not proper expository preaching. This is um, um, <laughs> this is conjecture preaching. But everyone yeah, who comes it. to Genesis does some of it. Yes, um, right. I sometimes jokingly call it suppository preaching. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you can take that for <laughs> I suppose. So I don't know. Really, I don't know. But but okay. I think there's some interesting things about this. And, yeah. and uh, I, I think that what we see is here God announces something to his divine counsel and, and there is a, there is a dis, distrust in the council. Now, as for when uh, Satan and the angels were cast down, it seems to me that the access to the heavenlies is, um, continues to be normative for the serpent, Satan has desired you, Peter, that he might sift you like fruit. Or, uh, right. Um, um, and and uh, Job, he came before seems God. To me, Job. Job. It seems, it seems to me that all these things um, are re remain in place, and that the Book of Revelations set, it puts the the war in heavens. It actually puts it uh, at the place of the ascension. Of Christ, hmm. in if, if in the Revelation account, it's when the hmm. Son ascends to the throne that the serpent is cast down, and and so uh, I, I will remain a person who doesn't doesn't know enough um, to be dogmatic about it, but I but I am suggesting that that I, I feel pretty secure in the in the more recent belief that that the fall was um, was consistent with the in the heavens and on the earth and that okay um, and that I, the logical the, the logical um, idea of it is that see God is creating um, an imager, who will have dominion and that this creates um, a, a desire inside the members of the, of the council to not have this happen. And again, I'm, I'm doing some speculating, okay. but, but what happens is I want you to notice something here also. God still speaks to Adam and Adam still hears God. Now, here's the reason but I'm this saying this time with fear, but this time with fear. 
This time with fear, but here's why I'm saying this. this. Yeah. In the in the Calvinist construction of of this story, Calvinism says that man died, and when he died, he was dead in his trespasses and sin, and a dead man can't respond to God. But here, in fact, I think is a as a man who's already dead in his sins, as evidenced by his taste of guilt and shame but who nonetheless can still respond to God badly, but he will also be able to (laughs) respond well, as we see. And so they immediately tasted the the guilt and shame. I was naked. I was ashamed. And, you know, Kim, shame is the worst of all the feelings. The worst, yeah. It's worse than guilt. And, And they also learned to cast blame. The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave of me the tree and I, and I ate it. Um, by the way, I have to get hold of uh, the, the wonderful articulation of the fact that um, Bob Hazlett talked to us about how the woman judges or, or how the man judges God in this cast a judgment on God, that this was not just some little repartee, that this is a judgment. Woo, that's a dark, dark piece. And I had not heard it quite the way Bob preached it uh, when we were at Voice of the Prophets. I don't, I don't know if you've had a chance to hear that yet. Uh, um, I haven't. I was in another meeting. You'll, you'll be blessed to access that as, as he will to access the, the teachings you gave. But so here we have... Um, they hid themselves, they tasted guilt and shame, and they learned to cast blame. So they're, they're fully, they're, oh, they are full participants in the human mess at that point. So let's look at the, what, what happens out of that, the, the, the curse of a broken covenant. Let's, let's look at that. And I, I have worded this a little bit differently, and I want to be careful with this. The curse of a broken covenant. So immediately God speaks to the serpent and he's cursed forever. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And, and the curse is, is going to get worse here in a minute. But I only give that piece for now. Um, uh, by the way, that's not Genesis 3.1. That's more like Genesis 3.14. Um, the woman suffers, but she's still blessed. In other words, she doesn't lose the ability to bear children. They're mm-hmm. going to come forth yeah. suffering, but they're still going to come forth. And Kim, I hesitate to say that she's cursed. Um, yeah. But I will say that they both come under the curse of death. So that's there. And um, mm-hmm. be easy for one to conflate that into or to or to equate that that's not conflating but to equate that with the fact that they are cursed they certainly come under the curse of death the man suffers but he's also still blessed but look what it says cursed is the ground for your sake And and i say this because it didn't say adam you're cursed it says the ground is cursed because of you in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for dust you are and to dust you shall return. So these folks have not yet removed the blessing of God. And oh, by the way, 
I don't think that they lost the image of God. Um, I don't think so either. I, I don't think they lost it. And I, I didn't want to imply that last week when, with what I said. Um, mm. I, I think they, they failed to walk in their vocation as the imagers of God. And, and, they, and they fell below it. But, what, but I did mean to say that what Christ restored was that, was that um, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Adam certainly couldn't say that at this place. Um, and that's, and that's, that's where you want to get back to with restoration, salvation. So here is the curse of the broken covenant of life. And um, and we have found, if you will, what's been called the day that man mankind died. Um, that's given to us in First Corinthians fifteen. So the day the day mankind died, um, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection for the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now this business of, um, there's, a, there's an interesting thing here. God told them the day you eat of the tree is the day you die. Well, they didn't die. But obviously they did die. And, and so I just want to point something out. Um, they didn't die in the sense of cessation of being. Yeah. And what this means is this is a picture of even from the very beginning of sin, God shows mercy. Yeah. So that, so that the Final sentence of death is suspended, not removed, because there's not salvation yet, but it's suspended. And all the way through the Bible, we see that God suspends judgment. We're going to see it with Cain. We saw it with the, with the time of, of Noah. God with long-suffering endured then we'll wow. see it also with the Amorites. He doesn't yeah. let them yet go into. The, so over and over, God is giving mankind time to repent. And so even to the people who might hear us, God's giving you time. You yeah. still have breath in your body. He's giving you time. There's time still for you to call out to him. This is the time of God's mercy. This is not the time to harden your heart. But I also want to point out, Kim, as I already have, that Adam died. The sense in which he died, uh, most people say it was spiritual death. And uh, I'll go along with that in this sense. Um, an argument can be made, by the way, that uh, Adam was immortal because he was alive by the breath of God. Mm -hmm. But the argument for immortality cannot be made after that. And I don't think yeah. the argument can be derived for the immortality of the soul from that either. But that's a debate. Certainly, um, the New Testament 
does not seem in any way to believe that the human soul is immortal. But that, 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 that's, a, that's a thing I trouble people with also. I have lots of things I think that are troubling. <laughs> I think that I don't quite understand what you're saying there. Um, okay. So, so okay. Okay, in so the people, garden before, yeah. before, the, yeah. before the fall, um, yeah. they, you believe they were immortal or you do not? I know there is a there is a question, a theological um, that some believe theologically that that Adam was eternal already and that when he fell in sin, that that he became mortal or subject to death. Is that what you're saying or not what you're saying? I think that's what it appears. I think that's how the scripture appears to me. Okay, and so then to say that the soul was never immortal not even in the garden before the fall no that if you're saying immortal you're you're implying if you say immortal you're implying um you're implying body and soul okay so after the fall he then his soul became his body and soul became he's clearly mortal after that he's clearly yes yes and and then we're born after his image. Right. So we're mortal and our soul is mortal. So the, that means. In the New <laughs> I want to be so careful. In the New here. Testament. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and race so, down that road. I'll go with you. So, the, <laughs> so then in the New Testament, you're saying that. This, uh, it's, it plainly says that we're not mortal. In fact, first, uh, first Timothy six sixteen says God alone hath immortality. Okay, so we are mortal. Yeah. Yes. And okay. So, and, and then the gift of salvation is the gift of eternal life. Right, and we'll be clothed with immortality. Right or not? We so will. when this we mortal, are this right, mortal this mortal body will right, and so does that include our soul? Is what I'm asking you. <laughs> and I'm saying that it's it, it, you'll you'll read it in theologians over and over, but nobody nobody cares to parse out the meaning of it. Uh, even okay. from when I was in college, I would hear it said this way: the the biblical doctrine is the resurrection of the body and the, but the, but the Greek philosophical doctrine was the immortality of the soul. And they will say, it was, and then you go, well, wait, wait a second. If, if, if it's Greek immortality of the soul, Kim, those ideas um, come from the uh, centuries, third and fourth century BC. Yeah. They don't. So that comes well after um, the theological position of uh, a mortal man. Now, um, it's clear there's some belief in life after death, even uh, even in. Well, we don't know how we don't know how developed it is. When David said concerning his child, he cannot come to me, but I can go to him. Um, yeah. The, the idea was of the idea was of a life 
um, uh, was of Sheol, but it was not developed. No one seemed to know what it meant or what it was. So I'm saying this is an one more open theological debate. And, and I'm saying that, that, to, that to develop a fully orbed doctrine of the immortality of the soul in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, is, it's, it, it's, it's left to be proven. It has yes. to be derived. It's not, it's not overtly expressed. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> we'll sort of leave it right there because, because this takes us down that rabbit trail to, you know, what happens after you die? Is it nihilism or is it this or that or the other thing, you know, and are you, are you eternally separated from God if you haven't received salvation or, you know, does your soul, you just completely cease to exist or if you, you know, right. It, I mean, it begs all those questions. And, um, and I think that we have some good uh, educated guesses, but I, I personally, I think that nobody really knows. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, ha I'm happy to be humble on that point. <laughs> so, all right. So what we do know is that there was a fall in the garden and yet God is merciful. <laughs> yes. And then Romans, this is the passage that, um, this is one of the passages. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. But listen to what it says, Kim, because all sinned. It doesn't say that I'm guilty of Adam's fall. It says I'm oh, guilty of my own sin. So it, it's clear it's it's clear that um, <laughs> let me go ahead and read it. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were whose whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. Um, I don't think I have the passage. I think I actually took it out. Um, the one about um, that I mentioned about through one man's obedience. Um, yeah. I want to amplify on that. Uh, I said in the last session that um, that I'm that I'm not I'm not prepared in these days to accept the idea that that God poured his wrath on his son. Um, yeah. I'm I am prepared to say that the wrath of God falls on humans who don't have Christ. Yeah. But cr what Christ did was obey the father, not disobey the father. And it was his obedience that caused him to be able to conquer principalities and powers even as he went into the domain of darkness and, and conquered it. I'll also say that Jesus was not abandoned by the Father on the cross, as some suggest based on um, a misreading of Psalm 22, but that a full reading of that Psalm indicates that Christ um, was indeed not abandoned by the Father but the cry of dereliction was the cry of the human in their lostness and in their abandonment. And Jesus 
went into the experience of that, but never was abandoned and could not be as it is impossible for the persons of the Trinity to be separated from one another. Right. Sin, sin cannot do that. All right. Good. Let's, let's talk about the Savior, the, the first promise of a Savior. I don't, know how much, I don't know how much trouble I'm in here. <laughs> we may have lots of questions, and if we do, I'll, we'll just... We'll just have a session to deal with that. How's that? Well, I'll just touch the I'll just touch the hell issue. Um, okay. The hell issue is pretty easily explained in this way: hell is either the fire that torments, or it is the fire that purifies, or it is the fire that consumes. Those are the three views. In right. the first view, eternal conscious torment is what hell is, and the second view. Um, the fire is purifying in that there's temporal suffering and then universal salvation. And in the third view, there's a, there's an eternal uh, penalty of an extinguished life. And those are the three views. Uh, I think um, universalism is heretical personally. Um, And the other two is an, is an in-house debate that um, is fascinating to have. Um, but I'm not a universalist and, and I disavow universalist and universalism, but I do understand preaching a gospel that is so glorious that people will be strongly tempted to think that's what you're saying. So there I am. Yes. <laughs> in, yes. in Genesis right. 3.15, uh, here we are in our fourth week and we're just now giving you the 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 proto evangelium the first gospel this is the first preaching of the gospel i will put enmity between you serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so this is the this is the first preaching of the gospel let's Let's quickly unpack the things that are in it. Number one, know uh, um, you're ahead of me. We got to go back. I'm going to put them up, just unpack them from this text. Um, num- number one, the the um, um, there's going to be a, a war between the woman, the seed, and the, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. Okay, a war. The whole of Bible history from Genesis 3.15 until you get to um, the cross and the conquest of Christ is a story of that war. In, in this case, the serpent is keen to destroy the seed of the woman because the seed of the woman is set to destroy him. And it says here, he, the offspring of the woman, will bruise, and Kim, that word is crush also, crush your head, and you shall bruise, crush his heel. And so what this what this tells us is that there's, there's going to be an ongoing conflict, but in the end, the offspring of the woman will prevail, and she will, um, and, and her offspring will, will destroy the serpent. 
but in the process will be wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of, the, his, of our peace was upon him. Uh, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that's how Isaiah speaks of this part of the passage. But it's an interesting thing here, offspring. Kim, there's a couple things about offspring. One is um, we need a word here that that is singular. All right? And, yeah. and the, the word seed or offspring um, can, can carry that, um, singular or plural. And, and then we need a word uh, that, or we need an expression here, because there's a nuance here. Because the seed of the woman and, and Kim, um, uh, offspring saves us from what seed does, because seed is the word for the man. Yeah. What the man brings to reproduction. But this, of course, uh, allows what the, what the woman brings to reproduction. And, uh, and this is clearly, and it's going to be very clear in the scripture, that if this is her bodily generated offspring, but the serpent is going to also have an offspring. Mm -hmm. And here's where the source of many cults comes from. Because um, many of the cults speculate about Eve, about the, about the serpent, about physical offspring, about how that happens. Yes. And come to all kind of pernicious outcomes. But the idea here is that the seed of the serpent Kim, those are the ones who hear his voice. Yeah. And we see that clearly manifested when we come to John and the Pharisees say to Jesus, we are Abraham's offspring and we've never been slaves to any man. And Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil. Yeah. Now you think about something that's offensive to the to the Jewish ear of the time of Jesus, for yeah. the physical seed of Abraham to be called the, the the children of the devil. But that's what Jesus did, indicating to us that those who hear the serpent's voice. All right. So even in this, we have the problem that they had heard the serpent's voice, and now. Now they have to again hear the voice of the Lord. Well, do they do that? And I'm glad we have plenty of scripture to tell us the answer is yes. So let's look at God covered them. All right. So Kim, by the time we get to Genesis 3.20, mm -hmm. we get the woman's name. Now, Kim, she was just woman until this point. Now she's Eve, the mother of all living. What is this? This is the action of God renewing his covenant, his original covenant. covenant. Be fruitful and multiply. And giving a new name is a sign of a covenant being established. 
And here I'm suggesting, as I already have, that the original covenant is being restored. Mm. Now look at also, um, and also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And the question that I would that I give here is, uh, why does God do this? Because it's very unusual. Why does God prefer fur over fiber? And I'm going to go ahead and suggest something on that uh, in just a minute. But first, um, let's note that they covered themselves. And one of the ideas of atonement is to cover yourself. Hmm. You make an atonement, you want to cover yourself. All right. But, and so they made their own atonement. They covered themselves with, um, with the, the leaves. All right. And God uh, removes their covering takes it away. He does not accept their covering. Mm -hmm. And he gives them another covering. Now, I just know one little thing that's mentioned in scripture that gives us a clue. God had cursed the ground. Mm -hmm. And the covering that they chose came from the ground that God had cursed. Mm -hmm. And God won't have it. Instead, God gives them the covering taken from the life of an animal. That's Does, true. He did not curse the animals. He didn't curse right. the animals in the fall. Right? Right. The animals were not no. cursed. So why does God do this? And, and my answer is that that God is demonstrating death. Oof. Right? He, this is Boy, the, they just didn't this. know. They just didn't know what they were getting themselves into. You know, you just think no. about, about how that must have been to be the first man and woman and to, to, really be in an endemic, you know, we call Eden like paradise, you know, walk with God in the cool of the morning and, you know, talk with God and all of that without any fear, without any shame, without any suffering, without any, you know, and all of that. And, and now they, now this, I, I mean, just, wow. Traumatized. I'm going to say that, they, <laughs> that they're given the skin of an animal that they loved. Oh Yeah. Probably. I'm also going to point out one other thing. If Adam was dead in his trespasses and sins, how does he hear God? Yeah. So what I'm suggesting is that to be dead in sins, whatever it does mean, it doesn't mean that you can't hear the voice of God. So the dead can hear the voice of God. Yeah. To be to be spiritually dead. And and I, when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, heard him calling my name. Yes, me too. 
and there is a there is a doctrine that suggests that we were we were born again in order to hear well i don't think that that holds and i don't think that it holds in the case of adam no i heard certainly by an act of grace but then i was born again all right so let's look at another tree in the garden this is a interesting thing here then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has come like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Kim, this suggests, this suggests that the possibility of eternal life was still there. But, mm. it, but it appears that God is protecting him from having that eternal life in his present condition. And yeah. again, that's speculation. But what it plainly looks like is that he would have eternal life without God. That's, and that's so, Alan, though, th I have to ask this question because I bet people are thinking about this, okay, as yeah. they listen to us. You know, so if... <clears throat> If the death that sin brings, of course, you know, we know uh, the death that sin brings is not just a spiritual death and your ears are closed or whatever. And it's not an actual death because they didn't actually die. What is the death that sin brings? I mean, I, I mean, I think I understand an answer to this, but I'm asking you, what, what is the death that sin brings? Well, I, I think when people say separation from God, I say yes, except yes. except he's still not separate from God. Um, uh, I, I think it is the end of end of immortality. I think it is the loss of immortality, body and soul. The loss of immortality. I think it's I think it's to be under the curse of death and the second death, the death of the body and the death of the soul. So the and sin all... in the garden, yes. So the sin in the garden, because I would say also, you know, when I think about the the death of sin, that sin always brings death. I think about destruction, you know, like it destroys our lives, of course. And it brings, like they, they experience fear and shame and guilt in the garden that they didn't experience before, you know. So I think that's sort of a, a death in some ways. But does that make it different than you know, the sin of the fall that brought mortality and then the sins that people commit in their lives that bring destruction of some kind. Is those two things are different? I don't know if I'm fully following you, but but I'll but I'll I'll go on and say the misery of alienation from God is what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. And yes, that's 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 the death, the alienation from God. We were made for God. We're imagers of God. We were made for him. Right. But this is a mysterious passage because it seems to indicate that if he takes, stretches out his hand and takes from this tree of life, yeah, it will be worse than being cast out of the garden. Yeah. Oof. So it says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden 
to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now I'm going to make a suggestion here, which is that when they were cast out of the garden, that they were, um, that, that the purpose of the cherubim was to keep the way to the garden, not to banish them from the garden. I don't think that they could enter the garden, but I think they knew where to go, where the garden was. And the reason I say that, Kim, is because the image of the cherubim is the image that is embroidered on the curtain in the veil of the tabernacle. Mm. And I'm suggesting that the, that the Holy of Holies is a type for a return to Eden. Yeah. And that the mm. same is with the temple and thus, and, and thus the same is with the, and, and that the Eden and the um, tabernacle, the temple and New Jerusalem uh, Kim, you know me enough to know I also suggest that New Jerusalem is actually uh, the restoration of creation to a temple. Mm. All, all of the all of the heaven, the earth, the earthly creation becomes a temple. Heaven and earth mm. becomes a temple. But um, again, I'm, I'm a madman, so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'll unpack that a little bit more as we go, but but there's right. something that's that's both protective by pushing them out of the garden. God is protecting mm -hmm. them, and number yes. two, He's preserving the way to the garden so that they can find it. <laughs> All right. So strange measures. Man is awakened to things unknown to him. He has come to know good and evil. He's banished from the tree of life. I've just said this is apparently an act of mercy and kindness. And, mm -hmm. and that these cherubim and their flaming swords, I've, I've already said, notice that those were there to guard the way to the tree, not, not to keep people from the garden, but to guard the way to it. And the reason I say that is I actually believe that this is the place where they were to go to worship. Mm at the designated times, this is where they were to go and worship. Uh, and then God covers their shame a little bit more about that. Notice they did not die immediately. That is to say um, that, that what you and I are already talking about, the death that they would die. Uh, Kim, it appears to us that, that it was not possible for man to die in the garden um, certainly in a sinless state, but then when they leave the garden, lifespans outside of the garden before the flood are about a thousand years. And that's a suggestive number that I can talk about at another time. I don't have time tonight or today as we're, as we're bringing this. Um, that a thousand years becomes the idea of a of, of the longest span of time a human can conceive because that's the longest span of time that a human almost lived. Uh, notice that an animal died. So the animal is the first death recorded mm -hmm. in scripture. 
Notice that the animal skin was used as a covering. God accepted animal skin. I'll go ahead and say it, Kim. He accepted that which had given its life. So their covering for sin came from a life forfeit that they might be covered. This is the hint of substitutionary atonement. Um, I, I... and notice also that he drove them from paradise of Eden, guarding the way to the tree of life with these angelic guardians. This is the first instance of exile in the scripture. Exile is an ongoing theme throughout the Bible. And yes. Kim, exile is what is killing people everywhere. Exile is uh, depression. Exile is the loss of identity. Exile Mm -hmm. is the inability to be comfortable in the skin you're living in. Exile is, is, uh, is suffered in the loss of sanity. Exile, exile, exile. Humans are exiled from themselves, from others. Um, We are are constantly living in a state of suffering and exile and salvation is God's intention to come and deal with our exile and bring us home. Make us family. Make us family. How are we doing on time? Because I'm a little bit lost. We are a little bit over. So we are finishing up. Ooh. It's okay. Okay, so I'm, gonna, so I'm going to I'm gonna finish uh, with two more slides. Okay. The promised seed. The woman will conceive and bear a son who will crush the head of the serpent. And we read in 1 John and in Romans 16 that the reason Jesus came is to crush the head of the serpent. So the expectation of a deliverer savior is permanently established in the mind of mankind by Genesis 3.15. Now, Kim, real quickly, don't miss this. This This is important. The first description of atonement in the Bible is the destruction of the enemy. It's Christus Victor. Hmm. that's that's the very first picture the second picture is then the covering the atonement the covering or the substitution of the death of an animal Hmm. but first and foremost is that we see very first the very first thing that happens is god's going to come deal with the cause yeah all right so the unexpected the expectation of a deliverer is permanently established And Kim, this is the basis for the first act of faith in Scripture. And we're going to have to postpone that till till next week. And in fact, why don't we just go ahead and stop here? Because when we get into the the woman, we're going to be into the Cain and Abel story. And I had hoped to get Cain and Abel done tonight, but you and I had too much fun. (laughs) It's fine. It works. We will we will just extend it if we need to. So at the end, it's fine. That's beautiful. So we love that uh, we have we have a savior. And uh, from the beginning, God uh, had it in mind that we would be saved from our enemy and uh, and that he would uh, send Jesus to destroy the works of the devil and crush Satan under his feet. 
And let me just assure all our, our listeners that this teacher of the Bible definitely does believe that when a person is lost, the consequences of their lostness are eternal. This pastor is not suggesting that they are not. He is suggesting that the nature of them, of, of that eternal consequence, that the nature of it is um, an open question. And we can talk about that another day. But I want to be really, really, really clear that if you're lost, you're really lost. And your only hope of salvation is Jesus and calling upon him while you are here and now in this world is the essential thing to find your salvation. Mm-hmm. And it's right there for you. It's a gift. It's just just no different than God guarding the entrance of Eden so that you so that so that uh, the way is preserved to go in. Jesus is the way to go in. And he is there for you at, at, at every moment of every day. And, uh, and really, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their, their ways. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And turn to the Lord and call upon him. And, uh, mm-hmm. and he'll hear you. And, and, uh, and, and do not allow the sufferings of this world to sour and embitter your heart. You are not going to leave this world without confronting and facing and experiencing the evil things that happen in this world. But if in this world alone you have hope, the Bible says if we hope in this world only, we are of all people the most miserable. So my hope is not that that the course of this world is gonna is gonna crown um, what I think and what I believe. My hope is in an eternal Savior, an eternal salvation, and in the restoration of all things. A God who will one day come, and He will uh, restore heaven and earth, and He will restore our lives, and He will raise us from the dead, and. Even as Jesus was what the Bible calls the firstborn from the dead, that we too will experience new creation life and that this mortal flesh will be made immortal and that my that what has happened on the inside of me will match what, what is happening on the outside of me. And we will have, uh, wow, life eternal. Our dear friend, uh, Catherine, Aruanolo was was telling about the conversion of her father in these most recent weeks and how that her father was expressing his regrets over the fact that that he had not been uh, the father that he knew he wanted to be and that she needed in this life. And Catherine looked at her father and said, "Um, well, dad, we can't do anything about the past, but we can plan for the future. And And he inquired as to how, and she led her father to faith in Jesus. Even as I hope everyone hearing me will either allow themselves to be led to Jesus, or you will be the voice through which other people are led to Jesus as we plan for a glorious future in the midst of a world 
that is full of trouble. In this world, we have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. Lord, I ask you to come and to bring your convicting power so greatly upon those that hear us that they will be um, so wrought in their heart that they must, they must come to you and that those who have come to you must tell others about the good things that you have done. For Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. Now get an inheritance for yourself of every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation and of every family in the world. Have those who call upon your name and are yours. We worship you. Lord, we worship you. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, we have finished another week. So next week when we get together, it will be week five. And so as I've told you, if you are listening to this for the first time and you went through this study with us today, you want to get uh, weeks one, two, and three on my podcast and uh, and catch up to where we are. Because next week when we get back together, we're going to be on week five. What are we doing next week? Oh, Noah's family. Well, Cain and Abel. And then Noah, right? And uh, so that will be very exciting. I hope you're enjoying this <laughs> as much as as I am. I always have fun with my good friend Alan, Papa Alan, and uh, so I hope that you are enjoying this too. For those of you who are watching, for those of you who are listening, we will see you again next week. And be blessed. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find both books on Amazon. Remember, it is time to move forward.